Hi everyone! I am coming at you today in front of my family's Christmas tree where if you uh, pay enough attention you might be able to notice the vintage cross of life ornament that we have right up there. If you don't already know me, my name is Margaret Hamm and I grew up at the Unity Cross of Life campus. My life since being leaving Brookfield has taken me from Ohio to college to Massachusetts for divinity school and still in Massachusetts to law school most recently. However, around this time last year, right after my first semester had ended, I made the difficult decision to drop out of law school. There were a lot of factors going into this decision and I won't bore you with the details, but needless to say, this was a very big and a very destabilizing choice for me. Since making the move to leave law school, this season of my life has been filled with so many new and exciting opportunities that I never would have had if I had stayed in school. I've been able to travel more, to visit friends and family, I've been able to do work for organizations whose missions I really believe in, and I've been able to take on things like talking to all of you today that I wouldn't have otherwise had the time to do if I were in school. But despite all this, it's also sometimes been a season of great uncertainty for me, of doubting if I made the right choice, and of being afraid of the fact that I don't have a clear path set out my, for my future anymore like I did before. All this talk about seasons conveniently brings me to one of our readings for today. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 through 13 appears kind of infrequently in preaching sometimes because liturgically speaking, we're still in the season of Christmas. This means that when the reading from Ecclesiastes pops up as a reading, usually on New Year's, there are gospel readings about the Christmas story that are generally more relevant to discuss. Despite this, I would argue that this is still a pretty well-known passage. I mean, how many other Bible verses can we say that the Beatles have written an entire song about? This passage can also be a popular choice as a reading at rituals like weddings or funerals. I attended a funeral a few months ago where these verses were read. A lot of the historical commentary about these verses focuses on the fact that only God can have the full knowledge and understanding of when these seasons will come and exactly why they happen as they do. As these scholars note, the passage ends with a recognition that life is meant to be enjoyed and that we should give thanks for everything that God has given us, especially with the knowledge that what we have to enjoy is so impermanent and can be changed or lost in any moment. This conclusion is incredibly important to take note of, of course, and to practice in our everyday lives, but it doesn't quite answer the question of what do we do when we're in these seasons where we can't or don't want to enjoy the gifts of the current season we're in. I think in the current culture we live in, it can be kind of hard to hear the first eight verses of this passage and not feel a little defeated by them. We're surrounded every day by an environment of toxic positivity where, especially on social media, but offline too, we often feel like we have to make it appear like everything's perfect and happy or at least somewhat under control. Sometimes it's difficult to admit that life has entered a season where this might not be the case. Thinking about a reading from Ecclesiastes today with this particular lens as a default may make you feel boxed in or stuck, like there's no way to really navigate or question these times to weep or times to lose. At least it definitely makes me feel like that. Over the summer, I was feeling particularly directionless about this season of my life, and I met with the pastor at the church that I've been attending in Boston. 
I told him somewhat sheepishly that I felt like I was having a Job moment, a period of time in my life where it felt like nothing was going right and all I could do was stand there and shake my fist at God in anger. I know that this is mixing my books of the Bible, but please bear with me. I swear this has a point. <laughs> I think my pastor could tell that I felt kind of badly about feeling like this. So he said, it's totally okay that you're having a Job moment. This means that you're still talking to God. The worst case scenario would be silence if you weren't talking to God at all. After our conversation, I really took this advice to heart. Instead of feeling guilty that I was mad at God or disengaging from my faith until I felt like I had something better to say that was maybe a little bit happier, um, I just kept talking instead. In the months since, this practice has carried me through all sorts of feelings, good and bad. And while I can say that it hasn't magically solved all my problems or hasn't given me all the answers that I've needed, it has for sure helped me feel closer to God and closer to those around me. It's reminded me that even though we call the word of God the good news, it doesn't necessarily have to be good in the traditional sense. The talk that I had with my pastor also reminded me of something I had heard before during my time at Unity. Drawing on the wise words of Joanne Tom, God can handle it. God can handle your anger, your frustration, your doubting, in fact, I think God might even encourage it. Our God is a God of joy and a God of suffering. The joy that we see right now in the midst of the Christmas season and the suffering that we'll see sooner than you might think when we enter the season of Lent. I think sometimes it can be hard to remember this, but God is present in all the big stuff and all the little stuff. As an aside, one of my favorite pieces of Lutheran trivia that I learned while at Divinity School is related to Martin Luther's thoughts on communion. Apparently, Luther wrote that because God is in everything, and especially because God is with us in the communion meal, God is present even in the toilet and all the way down to the sewers long after we've processed that bread and wine at the communion meal. One of my professors told me this, so I can't 100% verify that this came directly from Luther. I think I'd have to brush up on my large catechism or something to really figure it out. But regardless, I think that it's a funny way to remind us that God is both in both the spectacular and the mundane, and that we never need to feel like something we're thinking about is unworthy to bring to God. At this point, you've heard all about how I relate to the reading and how it's impacted my life but I wanna take a minute to think about how this good news might be relevant to you in your life, especially as we enter 2023. So if you'll humor me, please close your eyes and think about what kind of season or seasons the past year has been for you. Maybe you're thinking about loved ones you've lost or about new people you've gained in your life. Maybe you've made some big changes in your life that didn't turn out so well, or maybe you took some big steps that did turn out well. How did you talk to God in these moments? Where was God for you in the past year? If your eyes were closed, you can open them now. Thanks for playing along. So as we enter this new year, I hope that the next 365 days are, for all of you, a season of joy and laughter, community and friendship, health and success. 
But if this doesn't end up being a happy or comfortable season, if you end up having a Job moment of your own, that's okay too. In the darkest or most frustrating moments of your life, you could never say anything that would automatically cause God to give up on you. You are an unconditionally loved child of God, no matter what you're going through or what you're feeling. So just keep talking because God is listening. Amen.